iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. One simply has to maximize your appeal, bring out all your qualities, uh, and make you look and sound like the leader that you could be. You've got it in you to go the whole distance. Absolutely. That hat has got to go, and the pearls. But the main thing is your voice. It's too high and it has no authority. I may be persuaded to surrender the hat. The pearls, however, are absolutely non-negotiable. That's the tone that we want to strike. Gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Peter Travers from Rolling Stone, and tonight's guest, filmmaker Felita Lloyd and actress Meryl Streep. You're throwing water at me, Mrs. Thatcher. Oh, did I throw yes. water at you? No, it's just right. terribly wrong. Do you get the feeling when you're looking at this movie that uh, men kind of suck? <laughs> I, I was looking at that trailer and I was feeling it. Yeah. If we're lucky, they do. <laughs> uh, so flattering. Anyway, I want to begin, Philip, by asking you, who's worked with Meryl before in Mamma Mia? When was that moment while you were singing The Winner Takes It All? that you jumped up and screamed, she's my Margaret Thatcher. When did that happen? Well, she always was our Margaret Thatcher because she was like the boss. Um, <laughs> but, no, seriously, we, we, several years elapsed after Mamma Mia and then I was sent the screenplay um, and uh, Meryl, his name was suggested and I had 30 seconds of thinking... How's this going to work? This is the most controversial uh, woman in England. Being, and the second most controversial thing would be to cast an American actress to play her. Like casting you know, a British actress to play Hillary Clinton. How would you take that? And then I happened. came to my senses and realised that you, know, you needed um, somebody of Meryl's stature, a megastar, a superstar, to play a woman who was a superstar in our firmament and a global superstar in the 1980s. Well, that sounds really simple. It's like, yes, of course, we're going to do that. Did you have any fear about approaching this? Let's start already with the fear that you're not British. I, I had a lot of apprehension about, about playing And I called it part. fear. Silly me. You know, <laughs> apprehension is so much a better word. Well, that, was, it, that encompasses all the feelings. Terror, worry, anxiety, everything, because it was, I felt presumptuous for me to walk in. But I have to tell you that Hillary Clinton was played by Emma Thompson in <laughs> Primary Colors. <laughs> Tit for tat. Um, yeah, so I was nervous. I knew I'd have to do my homework. 
And I knew that I'd have to really be prepared. But what you don't get from this trailer, because the trailer is quite deceptive. The trailer is meant to draw you in and make you think that you're going to see a war movie and you're going to see a triumphalist saga of um, a woman who dominated the world. Actually, if you go to this movie, and I really hope you do, you'll see a very different thing. This is a... Feel this, that his face right yes. there is like it's not a movie about <laughs> war? <laughs> no, what? Fully 40% of the film I spend as Margaret Thatcher today as she is today, 86, fragile, and this film takes place during three days of her life, where she has taken the decision to move her husband's, her dead husband's things out of her life, finally, after his death eight years previous. A turbulent time that brings up the memories of her past life. This movie is very much more nu nuanced than we um, allow it to be in its marketing. And it makes me mad when I see it. You're, I have to say. You're mad with a smile, though. I am mad, with, mad a smile with a smile <laughs> because that gets the work done. You know, I learned a lot from her, Margaret Thatcher. But it's, um, it's a big life juxtaposed against the ebb of life. It is... You know, we, we've always thought it's Lear for girls. It's about how, how he wins. And, um, and it's, Philida's made an amazing movie. Is the idea that we're not seeing uh, Mrs. Thatcher in her dotage, in her dementia, it, to save it as a surprise? Is that the argument? No, that we I don't think see it's this? box office terror. Terror. I think it's fear of the fanboys. I think it's I think it's, um, I think it disses an audience and makes, uh, because it thinks you are not capable of appreciating something that's challenging and interesting and serious and about all of us, not about some icon that lived and had an impact on the 80s, who cares? It's about me, it's about you, it's about the woman who wrote it, it's about all of us. And it's interesting and it deserves to be seen in that light. Um, so this is my tiny fight with <laughs> Harvey Weinstein <laughs> and we know who's going to win. But <laughs> I just he, feel he that... He fights unfairly holding <laughs> his Oscars. But he, he does. You need to he, bring yours in. I know. Mm -hmm. It'll be a, a I'd smack I'd like to down. see that battle. Yeah. <laughs> everybody here can you just raise your hand or something, feeling that you know everything there is to know about Margaret Thatcher? Are you, who here knows who anything Margaret Thatcher her. is? Anything, anything. Let me see. Some people do. Some people do, but see, that's it. So, Philida, what, what do people that don't know anything need to know when they step in and see this movie? Nothing at all. Nothing. The whole point is that the film's being constructed for people who know nothing about her. And that's what, you know, having Meryl as, you know, at the centre of it brought to it because she was able to reflect back to me all the aspects of it that were completely local and parochial and that only a British person would understand. This is a kind of mythic story of somebody who 
um, a woman who came from a, a lower class background, a humble background, who came into a political party of very elitist, uh, privileged men and took them on and um, had, never, had never thought she would be leader of a political party or prime minister and was determined to drag Britain out of its post-war uh, decline. And she was patronized for being lower class and for being female. It's a story of a woman um, trying to make her voice heard in the world. But it's also a story of leadership and how one's strengths um, can often be one's fatal flaws. And it's the story of the cost of a big life, the cost of a big public life on oneself, one's family, one's friends and colleagues. It's, a, it's so great that the women have no problems anymore, you know, that it's all been solved. You know, it's a great thing. To just show what that, can we run the clip of the parliament just so we could see men at their best? Uh, when she entered parliament, you should know, this was 1970... Well, the scene no, you're saying, 74. 74, okay. So how many women were in parliament? Well, by then, when she first entered, there were only 14 in Out of in 600 some odd members, right? Yeah. There's the context for this. at a scene like that out of context and look at you what what goes through your mind when you're looking at you um, what goes through my mind is that this audience doesn't know that that this was the Margaret Thatcher that then set about to make herself more palatable that the ridiculous hat disappears her voice is lowered she goes to a speech um, a teacher at the at the Academy of Dramatic, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. Yeah. She sort of takes acting lessons in order to fulfill the role of a, of a leader and to make people comfortable with the idea of a woman leader, which they were not. And um, that was the beginning. You know, that was the beginning. I remember in 1979 how the world was when she was elected prime minister. And I didn't agree with anything that she stood for politically. But I was secretly thrilled because she was the first female leader of a Western country, freely elected by, her, uh, by the populace. And that was un unusual. Well, yeah, more than <laughs> she unusual. She broke ground for everybody. But, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to talk about that for a minute, about who you were. Philip, you were just getting out of university, weren't you, in 19? You were already winning, about to win your first Oscar for Kramer versus Kramer. This was 1979. So what's in your head? You're coming as a student. You couldn't have thought everything Maggie Thatcher was saying was just wonderful stuff. None of my friends voted yeah. for her. We yeah. never did. But like Meryl, I had that feeling of, yes. 
we've the first woman's through the door. But um, no, we were protesting against her all through the 80s. Anybody who worked in the arts was, um, aside from any other human sympathies we had, we were all um, ranged against her. And yeah. did you feel that, that you had like a, a protest about her in your head? Sure. I think that we, I mean, the things that interest me to attack as an artist are the things that I find myself culpable of. Mm. So I look at one of our presidents and say, he was a dope. I look at another, he was a crook. I look at another, he wasn't up to the job. Just these are captions. And people are so much more interesting to understand as human beings, to, to look at them in the round and discover why they were flawed, why they're, how they got where they got. If anything, as a cautionary tale, but it's interesting to look at people fully and not reduce them to a, a, this one. I mean, in England, there is no, there are two ways to look at Margaret Thatcher. One, that she completely dismantled the, uh, England, and on the other side, that she was saintly and um, she saved the nation and ushered in prosperity. One side, she's a monster. Really smart, interesting people. She is just that. There is no other way to look at her. Really, other, other people think, you know, she saved the economy and ushered in prosperity. But there's no middle ground and there's no, it's really very difficult to um, ask people to look at a movie that considers the, the idea that Margaret Thatcher may be a human being. And that's what interested me, because mm -hmm. I, like I like to look at difficult people and figure out what makes them tick. And that's why I think this movie opened uh, with her on such a vulnerable note, where she's not in control at all. You know, she's dealing with that age that she is and that dementia that see. I mean, we always hear the Ronald Reagan analogies because they were such friends. And in a sense, you can kind of understand her politics mm. by that. But when I saw the audience respond and not knowing, it's, it's strange because the musical Billy Elliot is, it's got that whole number in it about Merry Christmas, Margaret Thatcher, and we hope you die soon. You know? This yes, is there it. are websites sort of uh, devoted to what yeah. people will do on the day, yeah. uh, the kind of dance they'll do on the day she dies. And, you know, that's, that's one way to look at people. But, um, but what did you two each learn about Margaret Thatcher that you didn't know before you did this movie? Well, I knew quite a bit about... Uh, her, the gender politics of Margaret Thatcher mm -hmm. being a, a woman in relation to this party of men, but I had no idea how class was such a big theme. I mean, something that um, I don't know whether Ronald Reagan, you know, who'd come from a similarly humble background, was patronized in quite the same way in the US, but. Um, he was an actor. He was yeah, but it's, it's, it is different here. That's something that I found impenetrable and that, pres that pervades in, um, the UK still. Class distinctions. People um, decide who they are by the way they speak. They, they can locate them exactly, socioeconomically, and they decide about them. And to the point where you would ape a, a lower class accent, even if you were posh, 
in order to win credibility like street cred, you know. <laughs> and it, it's all really, really complicated, but I thought it was fascinating how she was um, discriminated against more because she was a grocer's daughter within the Conservative Party than she was even by virtue of being a woman. When we talk about her being a conservative, we're not quite talking about her being a conservative in the way that you would think of it. Um, it she's not Michelle Bachmann or Sarah Palin in any way. She's very, very to the left of that. Yes, I mean, she would be drummed out of the Conservative Party in America because she was pro-choice. In fact, recently I was in Washington and I met someone who was in the room when she took down Dan Quayle and President Bush for using abortion as a, as a you know, leverage to, for political gain. And she just said it was unconscionable and she just didn't let up. And this person got embarrassed by how she was addressing the President of the United States and his Vice President. But she was one of the earliest, uh, she recognized global warming. Uh, she was a chemist. Uh, she was a scientist. She was, uh, what did I say? Oh, she, there were a lot of homosexual scandals and she would say in her government and she had no uh, brief against anybody's personal life. She said to the man, you stand next to me all day and this will go away. And that's how she dealt with it. A lot of surprises in there. Social conservatives would not, uh, she wouldn't be admitted to the party here at all. Good right? for her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's it. But we hear so many things said about her. I mean, uh, Francois Mitterrand had that famous quote about saying she was, she had the mouth of Marilyn Monroe, but the eyes of Caligula. <laughs> yes. Well, that would be a wonderful note for you on playing it. <laughs> Just do that for us right now, Can I Marilyn. do that? Yeah. <laughs> be great. Can we talk a little bit about the making of this movie? This is, this is a movie in which you star, in which you've directed, in which Abby Morgan has written. These are three women doing this. This is a real triumvirate of some kind of power that's going on there. Did you feel it? Did you feel when you were doing this that you were making this movie the way you three wanted to make it? Yes. Yeah, but it felt like making movies. I mean, I didn't feel my... Um, difference... You know, <laughs> and our mutual, you know, shared. No, we, it felt like making a movie, and it, it was exciting because it, it only cost $14 million, which really is astonishing. You know, um, it's the catering budget on Transformers. On Hugo. Three. Yeah, Hugo <laughs> was $170 million, so you would make 10 of these movies. It's a great movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. But if we had 10 times, our budget, I mean, we would have had lots of time, but we were under constraints, and I think, I think it's astonishing what she's achieved in that amount of time and that amount of budget. It shows that, you know, sometimes when you're, the tight pot makes the flower bloom, you can really, uh, you have to come up with it, and you have to come up with only the honest answer, because there is no luxury in that process. Mm -hmm. There is no fat. There's no whatever you want. Mm -hmm. You know? There's well, just 
the necessity of the story we have to tell. Meryl's coming up with it because she's performing it. She's, I'm sure you just drenched yourself in Margaret Thatcher before you were doing this, but in a way you're doing what she had to do, which was to reinvent herself in that way. Did you feel that while this was happening? I felt that Meryl being the outsider, playing the outsider, the woman who always felt outside the party, was critical and that there was a tension on the set um, when Meryl had to stand up in front of 350 British actors and the feeling of, you know, that she was further away from them than, say, a British actress would have been, with whom there would have been a natural, probably more history between them. Um, and I think that's a really powerful element in, in the making of this. Did you, you felt that? You felt that outsiderness while you were doing this, or was it just with oh, men? Oh, sure. I'm yeah. from New Jersey. Jersey. You know. yeah. I'm, there's no way I, I really it was natural. Uh, but I do have certain so if you autocratic were... parts of my personality, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so that was already there. And, um, you know, certain understanding of, of, um, of that difficulty. You know, I was, I was a, one of the first 60 women to integrate a men's college, Dartmouth, way back in the Pleistocene era. And um, there were 6,000 men. It was the, the time Animal House was actually there. I mean, I knew those guys. And um, it was really very, very interesting. So I had something of that, that understanding of, of, of being really alone. I mean, a lot of them were very happy we were there, for obvious reasons. And, um, but a lot of... A lot of them didn't want us there. It was a conservative place in some elements of it, and um, they, didn't, they didn't like girls being there. <laughs> you know, it, was, uh, it demeaned the institution. Mm -hmm. um, it meant, you know, they're letting anything in. And um, I really remember those days. I, it's, it's hard for kids now to understand that that's, that is how it was. <laughs> and uh, uh, viscerally, I could summon that up when I walked into the first rehearsal and there were all these dis distinctive, wonderful uh, British actors who ended up being real softies and In the end. very <laughs> welcoming. Yeah, really <laughs> yeah. great. They were great. I'm still, can, I'm still flashing on you as a Jersey girl, you know, hanging out with the situation and Snooky. I can't, <laughs> I just can't quite get to that yet. But did you, did you feel that feeling of when you were making it this a sort of classical Shakespearean sort of sense of who she was because we're watching that fall right from the beginning we're seeing the diminishment that's why I feel you don't need to know anything about Margaret Thatcher to enjoy the film it's a sort of mythic story of a rise to um, a, a struggle to gain a career and, and, and this sort of uh, to be the first prime minister and then as I said, her, her strengths, this indomitable will and this conviction turn into um, a kind of arrogance, a refusal to collaborate with her ministers, refusal to listen, and eventually they conspire against her and bring her down. And you could say she, you know, she was brought down by, as she saw it, it was treason, treachery. You know, it is like something out of Julius Caesar. In fact, um, she had just um, lost her instincts for governing the country. Um, so it is, it's got the shape of, you know, yeah, a great saga. Mm -hmm. 
Before I throw uh, some of these questions over to the audience to do it, I just want to make a, I want to compliment and ask a little bit about who did the makeup in this movie. We haven't really seen the old age one, but having seen J. Edgar, I know what bad makeup can look like. And this is, this is, this is incredible makeup. So who did this? Um, Meryl's prosthetic makeup, which is the wonder of the, what the, the backstage crew did um, for the film um, has, is done by a man called Mark Coulier and, and it really is a, a, the thing to come and see. It's a, a, a magical um, act of craft and Meryl's longtime makeup artist Roy Helland did you know, the innumerable wigs and makeups for the piece. Yeah, so they worked a as a team. Yeah. Yeah. How long did it take to... Uh um, get you ready for those cameras. Not, not long. Not, not too long. <laughs> no, it really you were, wasn't. You were 86 in a snap. <laughs> right. It was just sure. Right. But it's the acting, mm. you know. It's yeah. just the acting Thing. that makes you... You're, there's a certain amount that prosthetics can do, and then everything else is... Really, what, what, what was important to me was that we keep taking away stuff, taking mm -hmm. it away, away, making it... Less, 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 because then I could feel, I could see me there. And, and that's, that's what you like, is that you're not looking at the stuff, you're looking at the person. And I think that's, that clears the way to making it more, you know, immediate. It does, because it takes you out of the movie when yeah. you're, looking at, the, when you're yeah. looking at the stuff. All right, audience, it's your time to run them up. a microphone here, raise your hand, we'll come to you. First question is right here in the back row, you want to stand up? Hi, Meryl. How did you develop the character of Mrs. Fox in the Fantastic Mr. Fox through animation? How did I develop the character of Fantastic of Mrs. Fox? <laughs> um, well, uh, I pulled it out of my, uh, my hat um, <laughs> because I had a couple of days only to to create this character, and Wes, you know, was making it in Paris which was very happy for me. I was very glad to have to fly there. Um, but basically I thought, well, what would, be, what would be sort of the perfect voice to be with George Clooney? And it's like the girl, a girl's dream, you know? How, how, was that, darling? Did I meet him? No, no, sadly. I didn't have, no. Because, you know, when they do those animated things, those motion capture and things, you just do your voice into a microphone, and then they work the puppet and the... Oh, God, I'm outside of my area of expertise, <laughs> shockingly. Next um, question here, over to your left when you're yeah. ready. Sorry, yeah, so they do it separately. Yeah. I was just wondering, um, was Margaret Thatcher consulted during the making of this film, and um, has she seen it, and what has her reaction been? She is very fragile. She does suffer from dementia. And she has retired from public life. She and her family were invited to see the film before I was. They were invited to, by Phyllida and the filmmakers to see it first. Um, but they have not, as far as we know. We, we did show it to many, many people close to her. And you can go online and read all of their reactions <laughs> in England. 
where it remains controversial and uh, actually extremely, extremely complimentary to the film and to the depiction of, of um, her life. And to those people who had worked very closely with her were just stunned by Meryl's incarnation of her, the accuracy of it. And we have time for, sorry, one more question right up here in the second row. I love doing Mamma Mia. Will you give me your autograph? Yes, I will. <laughs> That's really cool. Thank you. What would have been the Mamma Mia song that Margaret Thatcher would have loved the most? <laughs> oh, hmm. <laughs> mm. Dancing Queen. Dancing Queen. <laughs> You Thank you, everybody. Shot before now it's over. All right, there's no singing. Thank you both. Thank you, Thank you very much. <laughs>